sure have loved sharing communion with you every week. I sure do love that we get to sing God's Word and remember Him, and then we get to stand in honor of God's Word as we continue in this series, Broken Down Wall. And today I want to read for you Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. We're going to go through verse 13. Listen now to God's Word. The Apostle Paul Paul writes, he says, Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, this is a, this is a great text, and we started it last week. And, and I mentioned last week that the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, he is praying, but the first 13 verses, he is trying to get to his prayer. You know, I made the observation last week that it's kind of like maybe if you've ever been with a group of people for the purpose of prayer, and you, you kind of go around and everyone shares their prayer request, and, and by the time you get around to everyone and everyone's chatted for a while and everyone has, has had a second cup of coffee, you, you kind of finally get to that point where you actually pray. That's kind of what's happening with Paul here. Paul's going to pray. He's going to pray when we get to verse 14. But verses 1 through 13, it's kind of like the long runway before the plane takes off. In this long runway, Paul can't help himself because what he's really doing is he is bragging on Christ. He's just, he is overwhelmed with everything that Christ has done for him and everything that Christ has done in the church that before he prays, this stuff just kind of flows out of him. Now, let me set it up for you by, by just trying to get an image of, of this overwhelmed nature of Paul. It's kind of like if you have an eight-year-old, which I have, right? And, uh, and eight-year-olds, you, you, you got to love them because they are so creative. And Asher, he's the kind of kid that he could spend hours in the corner with his Legos. I mean, he literally has. We we've like, where's Asher? Oh, yeah, he's in the corner. Like, we just kind of lose him because he loves it. And he makes all of these creations. He doesn't use the guides anymore. He just kind of designs whatever it is is, is in his mind. And he, after he designs it, he goes on and he designs the next thing. And then most nights, he takes one of these cre- creations with him to bed. And so... By the time I go and tuck him in, he's just, you know, he's just playing with this, whatever the newest creation he is, he's made. He's just playing with it in his bed. And uh, it, those with young kids, you kind of know how it works. He, he, wants to, he wants to show it to me. And he wants to show me every aspect of this creation. And he wants to tell me about every single block that he's placed. And anything that moves, oh Lord, there's going to be just days worth of explanation of all the different things this joint can do, right? I mean, he just wants to, he just wants to show it all to me. He, he basically says, you know, part of it is because he doesn't want to go to sleep, right? Because so the longer he talks, right? But, but he basically is saying, look, Dad, look, look, look. That's what Paul's doing here. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and as the Spirit of God has inspired him, he is writing to you and he's writing to me. And here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, guys, look, look, look. In fact, the big idea for today's message, as we continue to see this same word appear, this word mystery, the big idea as, as we watch Paul prepare to pray is simply this, come Behold the wondrous mystery. Now, if you're a valley person, you probably know a song we're going to sing after this, right? Come and behold. Come look. 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 Now, let me, let me ask you, before we dive into our text, are you willing to be amazed today at the gospel? I want, you to, I want you to just pause for a moment. The Apostle Paul, he has preached the gospel millions of times by now. I mean, I, I have no idea how many times he's preached the gospel, but he's in the prison for preaching this gospel. And as he's writing to the Ephesians, he is amazed at it. Let, let me ask you, are you willing to be amazed tonight? Or has is your, is your affection waned for the gospel? Are you willing tonight to have a heart that is soft toward this gospel message? Are you willing tonight to have a mind that is open, that is willing to be blown by how amazing this message that we've heard over and over and over again, how amazing this message is? Tonight, I want to invite you to come and behold the wondrous mystery Tonight, I want to invite you to come and behold three aspects of this wondrous mystery that we see kind of just fall out of the Apostle Paul as he, again, he's trying to pray. He's just in a long runway. I want you to behold three specific things. And, and these, are, these are descriptive of Paul, but I would argue that they are descriptive of the normative Christian life. You know, sometimes we think Paul and we think, oh man, he was the Apostle Paul. I could never be like that guy. I'm going to show you tonight in this text that what we see in Paul's life, it actually applies to your life just the same. With that said, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's dive in. Let, let's, let's look at these three ways that I want you to behold this wondrous mystery tonight. And here's the first one. Verses 7 through 9, I want you to behold the gracious call of the mystery. I want you to behold the gracious call of the mystery. Look at the text with me. Here's what it says. Paul says, of this gospel, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I'm going to tell you what, there is, there is depth upon depth in this passage. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to go as deep as we could tonight. But where I want us to start is I want you to behold the gracious call of this mystery uh, look at verse 7. Where we're going to begin is we're going to see that in this mystery, in this gracious call of this mystery, in this mystery, you are called to service. 
Here's what I want you to see. Every person in the church tonight, if you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, I want you to see specifically from verse 7, you are called to service. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Of this mystery I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now, when we read this, and this is one of the, I'm going to show you maybe what we consider a, a tragedy of the English translations. When we read this, we read that Paul was a minister. And 90% of us, here's what we think. We think, okay, yeah, well, he was a minister, just like Mike's a minister. And you probably think that you're not a minister because, you know what, you, you pay someone like Mike to be the, the minister, right? Uh, and most of us have this divide in our mind between the clergy, those who are on staff at a church, and, and the, la- the laity, those who are not. And so when we read a passage like this, we look at verse 7, and we say, well, Paul was a minister. Good for him. But this is where the English translations fail us, because the word there, minister, I actually put it in your notes, because some people were saying, they say, Mike, you reference Greek, but you don't tell us what the Greek is. So I put it in your notes, so you can learn a couple of Greek words tonight. So here's the first one. The word there for minister is the word diakonos. Sound familiar? It's where we get the word Deacon. And you want to know what the actual meaning of that word is? Servant. Servant. In, in verse 7, Paul writes, Of this gospel, I was made a servant. Now, this is why I say that there's a, maybe a failure of the English translation sometimes. Because we can read minister, and you can read that, and you can, you can hold it at arm's length. You say, okay, that's for those ministers, and that's not for me. But that's not the point of this text. Paul is just simply saying that I was made a servant, just like you and I, every single one of us were made a servant. That idea of a servant is literally the idea of a table waiter. It's someone who's doing the menial tasks in a house. Paul says, I was made a servant. And and this is true of every single believer. In fact, one of my favorite verses, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his death and resurrection. And they're debating over who is the greatest and who's going to sit next to him in power. And Jesus, in Mark 10.45, Jesus, he, he rebukes them and he says this. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, his lo- serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is making the point to his disciples that they are to be servants And when Jesus uses that word serve, you know what he's using? He's using the verb form of the the noun diakonos, servant. Jesus is our example. He was a servant. Paul is one of our examples. He was a servant. This means that in this mystery that we're going to plumb the depths of, in this mystery that we're considering over these last few weeks, here's what I want you to see. In this gracious call of the ministry, you were called to service. You were not called to just come and sit on a church chair every week and then leave. You weren't called to come and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, good cup of coffee, good message, thanks, pastor, and then leave. You are called to service. I don't want to labor this too much because when we get to chapter 4, we're going to dive into it even more. But every believer is called to service. Secondly, in this mystery, you were not just called to service. You are called regardless of your strength. You are called regardless of your strength. 
Once again, look at verses 7 and then verse 8 with it. It says, Of this gospel I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace. Look, this is a gift. Paul didn't earn it. We saw last week Paul did the opposite of earn it. He was a persecutor of Christians. He says, The gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, twice here, Paul uses this word grace. Uh, Paul doesn't have to use it twice. He just, he can't help it. Because this word grace, it makes it abundantly clear that Paul did nothing to earn his position of a servant. In fact, let this sink in. Paul says that he is the very least of all, not all the apostles, not all of the church leaders, not all of the preachers, not all of the evangelists. He says the very least of all of the, can you find it with me? The saints. The saints. This word saint is the same word, agios, which she used all the way back in Ephesians chapter 1 when Paul begins the letter. Paul, when he begins his letter, remember what he says? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Here's what he says. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we've discussed this before, church, but a saint is not an extra spiritual believer. A saint is not someone who sins less than a different Christian. A saint is anyone and everyone who is trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus, if you believe that he died and he rose for you, if your hope is not in you being good enough, but your hope is in Christ and what he's done, I've got incredible news. Guess what? You are a saint. And Paul describes himself as the very least among the saints. He says, uh, if, we were to, if we were to line all of the saints up in, in terms of their importance and their value, said, I would be at the end of the line. Now, you might argue with this and say, well, Paul was pretty bright, right? But listen, Paul, he, he was a persecutor of, the, of the, the saints before he came to faith. And, and we find when we read like First and Second Corinthians, we find that Paul, he actually had some weaknesses about him. There's a probability that Paul in person was not very impressive. He, he didn't think like, man, I'm the quarterback of this team. He, he, he didn't approach church like he was the big man on campus. He, he saw himself as the last dog the least of the saints. And you know what? This is, this is a lot like the way God works. Because when God calls someone, God, God's not looking around saying, who is the best? Who is the brightest? Who is the strongest? You guys are like, amen. We got you as a pastor, Mike. <laughs> right? God calls the weak. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't think it's in your notes, but but let me just read this for you. Verses 26 through 29, Paul says this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God 
There's those words again. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When God called you, he didn't call you because you're strong enough. He called you because you're weak enough. When God invites you to know this wondrous mystery, and when he brings you into his church, and when he calls you to service, which all of us have been called into service, he's not saying, okay, who's going to be my, my top draft pick here? No, God likes to use the weak and the lowly. Because when, when he uses the weak and the lowly, you know what we do? We say, wow, only God could use that person. <laughs> I think about my journey as a Christian and as a pastor. I think about being a, a, a kid that could barely get two words out in a speech class in high school. I think about all those nerves and all those second guesses and all the weakness of my life. And now I have the opportunity to stand and preach God's word and I just... Many of you didn't know me at that age, but I just know without a doubt. It's God choosing the weak and the lowly. And he's saying, look what I can do. Look what I can do with that guy. See, you don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the brightest. You might feel like you're, you're an outsider. You might feel like you, you don't have what it takes. You might feel like you're not good enough. Perfect. Perfect. This means you are exactly who God loves to use. See, in this mystery, you are called regardless of your strength. You're called to service. You're called regardless of your strength. But one more description of this calling. In this mystery, you are called to share the gospel. Verse 8 continues. He says, grace was given. He says, to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Now this is, this is Paul's message. He's preaching about, look at this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. We've, we've already handled these kind of phrase in chapter 2. So uh, all I'm going to say is the, the, this is just beyond your ability to exhaust how much, the level of riches we have in Christ, right? He says also to, to bring to light. This is what he's doing. He's bringing all of this to light. But I want you to go to verse eight. And I want you to go to another one of these words that we look at and we say, man, that's not for me. And it's that word preach. The, the text says, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Now we look at that word preach, and I know that most in this room, the last thing you ever want me to ask you to do is to preach, right? Uh, you, you forget it. And we think about this word preach, and we think exactly what I'm doing right now, I'm preaching. But you want to know in your notes what this word is? The verb here is euangelizo. The word euangelizo is actually the verb form of the term gospel. This word, it actually maybe failure of the English language. Here's what it says. That this grace was given to proclaim the good news. 
This, this grace was given to, to share the good news. This grace was given to let everyone who will listen hear about this message of Jesus Christ, this good news. And this good news is what the core of the mystery is, right? That, that through Jesus and his death and resurrection, God is making Jew and Gentile one. And he's making it this one being in this thing called the church. This good news is of what's of first importance, that Jesus died and he rose again. This good news is the marching orders we have. It comes right out of the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28, from Jesus himself. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission of every single person in the church. When we read in Ephesians 3, uh, Paul is to preach, we say, okay, that's for Paul. And that's, you know, he can go do that thing. That's for Mike. He can maybe go do that thing. But I want you to see, this is, this is what you're called to. In this gracious call of the ministry, every single one of us is called to share the good news. Not because of how strong you are. Not because you've earned it. In fact, if I were just to summarize this, I would say this. We are all servants in this mystery regardless of our strength, and we serve by sharing the gospel. This is the very core of, of what we hold to. This is, the, this is the, the gracious call of the ministry. I, I, hope, I hope you're beginning to be amazed at what, God has, at what God has done in Christ for you. But let's keep going. Let's look at the second aspect of this, this mystery. The sec, second thing I want you to see is to, to behold what I'm going to call the cosmic conclusion of the mystery. Now, I want you to see the, this cosmic conclusion. What we have in, in verses 10 and 11 is kind of a, a fast forward to the very end of things. Here, here's how it's all going to turn out. Here's, here's the big picture conclusion. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, So that, this is why he proclaims, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we say this cosmic conclusion, here's what I want you to see. This is a moment where, where we're basically looking through a telescope into the celestial realm we're basically taking a giant view at the cosmic realm and we're seeing that God's very purpose for his mystery, the church, is that he could show the church off in, in the cosmic realm. We see two things here. First of all, the mystery. This mystery results in God's wisdom being displayed. Verse 10 describes God's wisdom as his, his manifold wisdom. This is his, his multifaceted wisdom. 
This wisdom is so varied, varied that it's like when you take a diamond and it has all of the different facets in the diamond. The diamond is cut perfectly. And in every angle you look in that diamond and you see that light shine through that diamond in different ways. This is what the church's purpose is. The church is to be that diamond that it shines God's wisdom cosmically. It says, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? It says to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This here is speaking of these rulers and authorities. These are the spiritual powers and forces. These are the, the angelic forces of good and the demonic forces of evil. These are all of the spiritual creatures that God has made that do battle in the heavenly realm. These are the unseen powers that exist. This is what he's talking about. It says that these beings through the church, through you and me together in the church, they are going to see God's wisdom displayed. Now, this is kind of a theme in the book of Ephesians. If you, if you remember Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses, we called that, that those 10 verses from death to life. And in that, we talked about how we were dead and then how we've been made alive. In verse 7, we just briefly touched on that, but verse 7 describes God's purpose. If you remember, verse 7 says this. It says, that you have been saved by grace through faith. You've been made alive. You've been raised up. Here's what it says. So that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, when we talked about that, I, I just, I, I said, it's like God's going to take you He's going to put you in his, his hand and he's going to hold you up in front of the entire cosmos. He's going to hold you up and he's going to say, look at what I have done. He's going to say, you, you remember Mike, Mike Freeman? You remember what a, you know what a wretched sinner he was? You want to know the way he treated people? You want to know about his anger and his filthy mouth and his lustful heart? You want to know all these things? Look at what I did. I took this guy, Mike, and I cleansed him and I saved him and I transformed him. And now I'm going to hold him up for all eternity so that, so that the cosmic realm can marvel. Not at how awesome Mike is, but how awesome God is. We, we talked about verse 9 of Ephesians 2. It said that this salvation, this work, is not a result of works so that no one could boast. We, we made the point that w when God holds you up for all eternity, you're not going to be there like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome, huh? You, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be saying, look at what God has done. God's going to say, look at what I have done. You're going to say, look at what God has done. And you know what? With the church... The, this mystery, you know what we're all going to do? God's going to hold us all up together, Jew and Gentile together. And you know what we're all going to say together? Look at what God has done. Look at his wisdom. Look, look at what he's done. This mystery results in God's wisdom being displayed in the cosmic realm for all eternity. But secondly, this mystery it results in God's purposes being revealed. Now, we, we, we've hinted at this a few times. We, we've, we've touched on this a little bit. 
But verse 11 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this eternal purpose, this mystery, we've described it every week so far, this mystery, it's not a murder mystery, it's not a whodunit. This mystery is a truth that has been, it has been hidden in times past, and at just the right time, this mystery, this secret, it's been revealed. And what this mystery is, is this is this purpose that is eternal that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This means that God's eternal purpose, his, his plan has always been. Let me say it again. His plan has always been to save humanity through Jesus Christ. This means when, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in that garden, God didn't get nervous. God wasn't afraid. God, God didn't say, oh, I, I got to go back to the drawing board. I got to figure out a plan B. No. God's plan was always to redeem his church through Christ Jesus. It reminds me of Ephesians 4 verse 1, or 1 verse 4. It says, even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. This has been his eternal purpose. You know what that means? Brother or sister in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, you're part of this. You're part of God's plan from eternity past that is going to extend for eternity forevermore, and the extension is going to be God holding us up and him saying, look at what I've done, and then you and I saying in unison, look at what God has done. This is God's cosmic conclusion within his mystery. So, so tonight, I want you to behold, behold the gracious call of the ministry He's called you to service, not based on your strength. And that service aims you at sharing the gospel. Not only that, he, I want you to behold the cosmic conclusion. At the be-all, end-all, it's going to result in God's wisdom being displayed forevermore. But here's the last thing I want you to see. In this last point, I want to, I want to bring it home very personally to everyone that's here tonight. I want you to behold the personal consequence of the mystery you might be thinking, Mike, that's really exciting that for all eternity I'm going to be displayed as one who gets to show the manifold wisdom of God, but I'm really hurt tonight. I'm really discouraged tonight. I'm kind of overwhelmed with life tonight. I don't even know, I don't even know how to go to pray anymore tonight. Life's so heavy. Let, let this text... Let this final part of our text, let it meet you right where you are. Verses 12 and 13, I want to show you what I'm going to call four consequences that personally impact you because you're part of this ministry. Look at verse 12. Verse 11, it ends, it says, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and then verse 12 picks up, it says, in whom? In whom? In, in who? In Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. 
Verse 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You want to see what these personal consequences are? The first one, here, here you go. In the mystery, you have boldness through faith in Christ. Now, this is what verse 11 says. It, says. it says, in whom we have boldness, and then skip over that next part, boldness through our faith in him. Boldness is not like this uh, irrational like fearlessness this doesn't mean you have boldness so you can go drive your car 100 miles an hour down Pacific Way. It's not that kind of boldness. This is the kind of boldness that means that you are, you're courageous or you're fearless as you stand before a superior. This boldness is as you stand before a superior. Who is your superior? Well, it's God. This means that you and I, we recognize who we are and who God is. We know that he is the transcendent, infinite creator and that we are the lowly, weak, finite creation. <laughs> that he is strong and that we are weak. And let, yet, here's what it says. We have boldness. We can go boldly to our heavenly father. Uh, sometimes we, we get a little nervous when we think about God. Sometimes we get a little nervous when we think about people. I remember when I, was a, when I was a high schooler and I used to go to church and we actually sat right up here in the front and, and uh, we, we sat behind our, our lead pastor and, and he was intimidating to me. Um, he was the kind of guy that um, knew everything um, and, uh, and I, I just was kind of terrified of the man if I'm honest with you. And, you know, we did that thing that churches do sometimes. We only do it once a month because we know that most of you are introverts. That, that thing that's called the meet and greet. You know, you know that meet and greet moment when you got to turn to a neighbor and you got to say hi to someone, say hi to someone you don't know. And, and I've been going to the church off and on for years. And I remember one of those days at one of these meet and greets, I'm sitting right behind him and, and uh, he turns to me and it's just straight faced. And he says, hi, who are you? And uh, I didn't know this. He was pulling my leg. He, he knew who I was. We, we had talked a handful of times before. He knew, you know, he, he knew that I was a kid that swore and got in fights at youth group. He knew all about me, right? But here's the deal. He, he, in that moment, who are you? I, I thought he was being totally serious. I was like, um, I, I'm Mike. <laughs> and then he just big old smile came on his face, like joking with me. But I had no confidence. I had no confidence going before him. I had no boldness going before him. And sometimes we, sometimes we don't act that way in front of human people, right? Sometimes we act that way before the Lord. Say, so, you know what? I, I messed up again. God doesn't want to hear me again. I was mean to that person again. I was unforgiving again. I was petty. I was lustful. I was, I was, I was hateful. I was vengeful. I was spiteful. I can't go to God right now. We play mind tricks, right? We say, you know what? Maybe if I can go three or four days being pretty good, then I can go to God again. Then, you know, I'll clean up my act a little bit. I'll do some good things, you know. And then, then I can go with boldness because, you know, I, I've had a few good days in a row. Look at the text, church. It says we have boldness through our faith in him. 
your boldness before the Lord isn't based on your behavior. Your boldness before the Lord is not based upon your good works. It's based upon the perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 teaches the same thing. It just expands it a bit. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16, the, the, the author writes, he says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is talking about Jesus in his ascension. This high priest who has sacrificed himself for us, and now he has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Here's what it says. It says, let us hold fast our confession. What is our confession? That Jesus died and rose again. Verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. It says that we have a great high priest and he is the high priest that did not just sacrifice a bull or an ox or a ram. He is a high priest and he sacrificed himself. And not only did he sacrifice himself, but he was resurrected and he has passed through the heavens and he, he sympathizes with us in our weakness. He never sinned. Never once did he sin. He was perfect. But listen, he was tempted and so when you are tempted, when you find yourself flat on your face in a, in a pile of mud because of your selfishness and your fleshly desires, when you are tempted, Jesus doesn't look at you and say, what a, what a fool. The text says he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. and says, because of that, we can with confidence go near into the throne room of grace. And that confidence means that in that moment, we're not going to find judgment or derision or him being impatient with us. It says we will find mercy and help in our moment of need. See, in this mystery, you have boldness through faith in Christ. Secondly, in this mystery, you have confident access to God through faith in Christ. See, these two go hand in hand, but I, wanna, I wanted to separate them because I want us to see they're slightly different. See, we, we can go directly to God, Hebrews chapter 4, but we go directly to God because of Christ. Remember John 14, 6. Jesus speaking of himself, he says, just very simply, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what this means? We go to the Father through Christ. And it's through faith in him. I just want to emphasize here that we trust in Christ in no other way. We don't trust in Christ plus a little bit of good work. We don't trust in Christ in our ability to clean up our act. We don't trust in Christ and the fact that we're not sinning so much anymore. We trust in Christ. Please say period. We trust in Christ, period. That's it. It's finished. It's what he's done. 
So in this mystery, you have boldness through faith in Christ. In this mystery, you have confident access to God through faith in Christ. But these last two points, let me just briefly give them to you. In this mystery, you have hope when you're discouraged. You have hope when you're discouraged. Verse 13, Paul says, I I ask you not to lose heart. To lose heart means to be discouraged. Paul is worried they're going to they're gonna be discouraged because they're receiving a letter from Paul and he is in prison. And they're going to be discouraged. They're going to lose heart because Paul is in prison. And he says, I don't, want you to lose, I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to be discouraged. Now, we're not so much discouraged about Paul anymore because he's no longer in prison. <laughs> he, he's in eternal glory. But if we're honest, we, we get discouraged all the time. We're discouraged when life doesn't work out the way we want it to. We're discouraged with, when our young children don't seem to be getting the lessons that we're trying to teach them and we're exhausted and at the end of the rope. We're discouraged when our, when our task list, it starts out this long at the beginning of the week and it ends the week twice as long. We're discouraged when we look at our life and we say, am I accomplishing anything? Am I, am I making any difference? Some of us were discouraged by our adult children that are prodigals. And they're far from the Lord. We're discouraged at our own sinfulness and our own foolishness and the fact that we still fail. But we see Paul call us to have hope when we're discouraged. We have hope, first of all, because of an inner reality. In another letter, Paul uses the same word. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he says, we, he's speaking of himself and his, his other ministries, he says, we do not lose heart. We do not become discouraged. He says, we don't lose heart, first of all, because of this ministry of the mercy If you go a little bit further in that chapter, verse 16, Paul says again, he says, we do not lose heart. He's repeating himself. We do not lose heart. Why? He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Here's what he says. We don't lose heart, first of all, because we have an inner renewal, because God is always working. You realize when you're discouraged, you you don't have to stay that way. When you turn your attention toward the inner working of God in your life, he's always working. You can find hope. Secondly, you can have hope so you can continue to do good. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That, That word grow weary, lose heart is the idea. So don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't get discouraged. Instead, have hope. Uh, Parents of young children, don't be discouraged. Have hope. When you train them in grace and truth day after day, even though it feels like you are hitting your head against the wall over and over and over again, trust that in due time, you will reap the reward. Parents of prodigals, don't lose hope. Don't stop praying. Don't stop begging the Lord. Don't stop caring for those children. Don't stop loving those children and reminding them of God's faithfulness. Don't be discouraged. Why? If we keep doing good in due season, we will reap. We will reap. My last point, and then I'm done. In this mystery, you have glory. 
Verse 13, Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's what Paul says. Paul says that the Ephesians, they have a glory, and that glory is that someone was willing to suffer on their behalf. This says that you and I, we have that same glory. We have that glory that someone has passed the gospel to us. Maybe it was your grandparent. Maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it was a friend, but that glory has been passed to you. That gospel has been passed to you. And guess what? Now you stand in line with them. And maybe it means suffering as you share that gospel with the next person in line. And then you become their glory, just like someone was for you. Church, would you just will you come behold this wondrous mystery? Will you behold this gracious calling that you have been called into this mystery? Will you behold this, this cosmic conclusion that at the very end, God's going to hold us all up together and say, look what I've done. And will you behold how this meets you personally right here in your life as you have hope that you don't have to be discouraged? Let me pray. Lord, help us to see what our physical eyes cannot see. Lord, we get so caught up in this world and in our lives. We get so caught up in the busyness and the hecticness. We, we can become discouraged. We can become distracted. We, be, we can become those who are experts in good things but miss the most important thing. Lord, tonight, help us to see, help us to behold this wondrous mystery. This mystery that is first and foremost Jesus his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. But Lord, help us to also behold this mystery is that, the, that, that in Christ, we now are part of this church. This church. This church that you're going to show off for all eternity as the work of your hand. Lord, I pray that as we behold this wondrous mystery, it moves our hearts and it opens our minds so that we will be in awe of you, that we will praise you like we never have before, that we will serve you with greater passion, and that you'll be glorified as we know you more and more. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.